0: This podcast contains material that some listeners may find objectionable. It may contain graphic descriptions of atrocities committed during the 1937
1: Nanking Massacre in China. Welcome back to the Wartime Diaries of Minnie Votrin and Sen Fan. On this episode, we'll hear how both women repeatedly put their lives on the line to protect the thousands of refugees living on the overcrowded Jinling campus. Despite their efforts, women and girls as young as 12 are often abducted and raped by Japanese soldiers. Chinese men, suspected of being Chinese army deserters, are bound and shot. At the end of these two terror-filled days, Minnie and Shui Phan turn to faith to renew their hope. We begin with the diary of Minnie Vautrin, Thursday, December 16th, 1937.
0: Tonight I asked George Fitch how the day went and what progress they had made toward restoring peace in the city. His reply was, It was hell today, the blackest day of my life. Certainly, it was that for me, too. Last night was quiet, and our three foreign men were undisturbed, but the day was anything but peaceful. About 10 o'clock this morning, an official inspection of Jinling took place, a thorough search for Chinese soldiers. More than a hundred Japanese came to the campus and began with the arts building. They wanted every room opened, and if the key was not forthcoming immediately, they were most impatient, and one of their party stood ready with an axe to open the door by force. My heart sank when I saw the thorough search start, for I knew that in the geography office upstairs were stored several hundred padded garments for wounded soldiers, work of the National Women's Relief Association, which we had not yet gotten rid of. We have been loath to burn them because we know that poor people this winter will be desperate for clothes. I took the soldiers to the room west of the fatal room, and they wanted to get in through the adjoining door, but I did not have the key. Fortunately, I took them up to the attic, where there were about 200 women and children, and that diverted their attention. Tonight, after dark, we buried those garments. Mr. Chen threw a rifle in the pond, which he had. Twice they grabbed hold of one of our servants and started to take them off, saying they were soldiers. But I was there to say, no soldier, coolie. And they were released from the fate of being shot or stabbed. They went through all the buildings in which we had refugees. A small group of four with petty officer wanted to drink, and we took them over to Mrs. Sen's dormitory. Fortunately, we did not know that there were probably as many as six machine guns trained on the campus, and many more soldiers on guard outside, ready to shoot had there been the slightest running. When the highest officer left, he wrote us a statement saying we had only women and children. This has helped us the rest of the day to keep out smaller groups. Soon after noon, a small group got in at the gate to the old infirmary, and they would have taken Tung's young brother had I not been there. Later they went along the road and demanded entrance at the laundry gate, and I was there in time. Had they found any suspected person, his fate would have been the same as the four men following them whom they roped together. They took them to our west hill, and there I heard the shots. There probably is no crime that has not been committed in this city today. Thirty girls were taken from language school last night, and today I have heard scores of heartbreaking stories of girls who were taken from their homes last night. One of the girls was but 12 years old. Food, bedding, and money have been taken from people. Mr. Lee had $55 taken from him. I suspect every house in the city has been opened again and yet again and robbed. Tonight, a truck passed in which there were eight or 10 girls. And as it passed, they called out Jin Ming, save our lives. The occasional shots that we hear on the hills or on the street make us realize the sad fate of some man, very probably not a soldier. Most of my day has been spent sitting at the front gate as guard, except when I am called to run to some other part of the campus to escort a group of soldiers. This evening, Shen Zi Fu, the servant at the South Hill House, came down saying all the lights were on in the residence. My heart sank, for I thought it was occupied by soldiers. We went up to find that Searle and Mr. Riggs had not turned off their lights last night. Chang Zi Fu's son, Science Hall janitor, was taken this morning, and Wei has not yet returned. We would like to do something, but do not know what we can do, for there is no order in the city, and I cannot leave the campus. Mr. John Raba told the Japanese commander that he could help get them lights, water, and telephone service, but he would do nothing until order was restored in the city. Nanking is but a pitiful broken shell tonight. The streets are deserted and all houses in darkness and fear. I wonder how many innocent, hard-working farmers and coolies have been shot today. We have urged all women over 40 to go to their homes, to be with their husbands and sons, and to leave only their daughters and daughters-in-law with us. We are responsible for about 4,000 women and children tonight. We wonder how much longer we can stand this strain. It is terrible beyond words. From a military point of view, the taking of Nanking has been considered a victory for the Japanese army, but judging it from the moral law, it is a defeat and a national disgrace, which will hinder cooperation and friendship with China for years to come, and forever lose her the respect of those living in Nanking today. If only the thoughtful people in Japan could know what is happening in Nanking. O God, control the cruel beastliness of the soldiers in Nanking tonight. Comfort the heartbroken mothers and fathers whose innocent sons have been shot today. And guard the young women and girls through the long, agonizing hours of this night. Speed the day when wars shall be no more. Then thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.
1: And now the same day from the diary of Sen Shui-Fan.
2: This morning, no later than 8.30, several Japanese soldiers came to inspect. Ms. Fulton received them, and I was there too. We had no idea how they intend to inspect. They claimed that they wanted to find Chinese soldiers. We're not worried about it, because there were no soldiers on the campus not simply looking for Chinese soldiers per se, they would insist that Chinese soldiers hid on the campus if they saw uniforms. When we were at number 300 building, Ms. Volta and I were a little bit apprehensive for many wounded soldiers' uniforms and vests made by ourselves or shipped here from other places were stored in the upstairs room of the geography department of the number three building. I stood at the door there while Voltron took the Japanese soldiers to see other rooms. At that time, many refugees were there. Later, she took them to the third floor and then went downstairs, skipping the geography department room. Only then, I felt a little bit relaxed. They were very fierce. To them, all great colored clothing must be Chinese soldiers' uniforms. At that time, People were scared to death and threw their gray clothing into the pound as if they had encountered ghosts. Voltron took the soldiers to Number 400 building for tea. One of them walked with me to Number 100 building, and I had no way out but to enter the building. At first, I did not even want to see them. But there were so many soldiers that Voltron could not handle them all by herself. So I pitched in. They wrote Chinese characters asking me if there were any soldiers here. I replied, no, so did Voltron. She not only served them tea, but also treated them with snacks. I was really mad at her for thinking that if we treated soldiers better, they would behave. They wrote characters asking us to promise that no Chinese soldiers be allowed here. They also wanted us to swear about it. She, Bochun, did. They wrote characters to ask me if I understood what they meant. When they left the front gate, they gave Chun a notice to show the other Japanese soldiers and to deter them from entering the campus. As a matter of fact, it was useless. In the afternoon, soldiers came again and took Little Town's brother away and accused him of being a Chinese soldier. He looked a little bit like a soldier. Twice he was released on Voltron's vouching for him. The workers heard that the Japanese soldiers tended to take away males with long hair, so some of them shaved their heads. They had no idea that Japanese soldiers treated the shaved heads even more harshly. They thought that all Chinese deserters shaved their heads. It's too late for the workers to regret to have their hair shaved. One group of soldiers after another continued to come, which made Voltron busy to death. This time, soldiers saw Mr. Li, searched his body, took $50 cash from him, and slapped his face. He should not have so much cash with them. At noon, meal time. I had reminded him to be careful about money. This morning, Li Zifu of Number 700 building was robbed of $10 too. A Japanese soldier later returned $1 to him. This soldier still had some conscience and left $1 for Li to use. Soldiers came again, asking for chickens. Vo Chun had again to talk to them out of it. She was so angry that she wanted to kill all the chickens and ducks to avoid their being taken by the soldiers for food. Today, the whole day, quite a few group of soldiers came. Some again went to the South Hill to loot. Wo was exhausted from running back and forth to deter them from looting. I was very worried that the soldiers would hurt her, so I asked a worker to escort her. Although the worker would not be able to do much good, he would know what the soldiers could do. I cannot run there. It worries me to death. Now, there are seven or eight thousand refugees here.
1: Friday, December 17th, from the diary of Minnie Votrin.
0: Went to gate at 7.30 to get message to Mr. Sun who slept down in the house with Francis Chen. Red Cross Kitchen must have coal and rice. A stream of weary, wild-eyed women were coming in, said their night had been one of horror, that again and again their homes had been visited by soldiers. Twelve-year-old girls up to sixty-year-old women raped, husbands forced to leave bedroom and pregnant wife at point of bayonet. If only the thoughtful people of Japan knew facts of these days of horror. Wish someone were here who had time to write the sad story of each person, especially that of the younger girls who had blackened their faces and cut their hair. The gate man said they had been coming in since daylight at 6.30. The morning spent either at gate or running from South Hill to one of the dormitories or front gate, wherever a group of Japanese was reported to be. One or two such trips were made both during breakfast and dinner today. No meal for days without a servant coming to say, Miss Votrin, three soldiers now in science building, or... The afternoon spent at gate, no easy task to control the traffic, to prevent fathers and brothers from coming in, or others from coming in with food or other conveniences. There are more than 4,000 on campus and when 4,000 more bring in food, the task becomes complicated, especially when we have to be very careful about those who come in. The crowd coming in all day, we simply cannot take care of. If we had room, we do not have strength enough to manage. Have arranged with university to open one of their dormitories and they will have a foreign man on duty all night. Between four and six, I took over two large groups of women and children. What a heartbreaking sight. Weary women, frightened girls, trudging with children and bedding and small packages of clothes. I was glad I went along, for all along the way we met groups of Japanese soldiers going from house to house, carrying all kinds of loot. Fortunately, Mary Twinham was on the campus, so I felt I could leave. When I returned, she said at 5 p.m., two soldiers came in, and seeing the big American flag in the center of the quadrangle, they tore it from the stakes and started off with it. It was too heavy and cumbersome to take on bicycles, so they threw it in a heap in front of the science building. Mary was called from front gate, and when the soldiers saw her, they ran and hid. She found them out in a room at the powerhouse, And when she spoke to them, they flushed, for they knew they were wrong. As we finished eating supper, the boy from Central Building came and said there were many soldiers on campus going to dormitories. I found two in front of Central Building pulling on door and insisting on its being opened. I said I had no key. One said, soldiers here, enemy of Japan. I said, no Chinese soldiers. Mr. Lee, who was with me, said the same. He then slapped me on the face and slapped Mr. Lee very severely and insisted on opening a door. I pointed to side door and took them in. They went through both downstairs and up, presumably looking for Chinese soldiers. When we came out, two more soldiers came leading three of our servants, whom they had bound. They said, Chinese soldiers, but I said, no soldier, coolie, gardener, for that is what they were. They took them to the front and I accompanied them. When I got to the front gate, I found a large group of Chinese kneeling there beside the road Mr. Francis Chen, Mr. Xia, and a number of our servants. The sergeant of the group was there, and some of his men, and soon we were joined by Mrs. Sen and Mary Twinham, also being escorted by soldiers. They asked who was master of the institution, and I said I was. Then they made me identify each person. Unfortunately, there were some new people, taken on as extra help during these days, and one of them looked like a soldier. He was taken roughly over to right of road and carefully examined unfortunately when i was identifying the servants mr chen spoke up and tried to help me and for that he was slapped severely and roughly taken to right side of road and made to kneel in the midst of this procedure during which we prayed most earnestly for help a car drove up in which was george fitch Lewis Smythe, and Plumer Mills, the latter to stay all night with us. They made all three of them come in, stand in line, and remove hats, and examined them for pistols. Fortunately, Fitch could speak some French with the sergeant. There were several conferences among the sergeant and his men again and again, and at one time they insisted that all foreigners, Mrs. Sen, and Mary, must leave. They finally changed their minds when I insisted this was my home and I could not leave. They then made foreign men get into car and leave. As the rest of us were standing or kneeling, there we heard screams and cries and saw people going out at the side gate. I thought they were taking off a large group of men helpers. We later realized their trick, to keep responsible people at front gate with three or four of their soldiers carrying on this mock trial and search for Chinese soldiers, while the rest of the men were in the building selecting women. We learned later they selected twelve and took them out at side gate. When that was complete, they went out front gate with Francis Chen, and we were sure we would see him no more. When they went out, we were not sure they had left, but thought they might be on guard outside ready to shoot anyone who moved. Never shall I forget that scene, the kneeling at the side of the road, Mary, Mrs. Sen, and I standing, the dried leaves rattling, the moaning of the wind, the cry of women being let out. While we were there in silence, Big Wang came and said two women had been taken from East Court. We urged him to go back, we prayed most earnestly for Mr. Chen's release, and for those who were carried off. Those who had never prayed before, I am sure, prayed that night. For what seemed an eternity, we dared not move for fear of being shot. But by a quarter to eleven, we decided he would leave. Do the gate man, looked stealthily out of the front gate. There was no one. He stole to the side gate. It seemed to be closed. And so we all got up and left. Mrs. Sen's daughter-in-law and all the grandchildren were gone. I was horrified, but Mrs. Sen said calmly, she was sure they were hiding with the refugees. In her room we found everything in confusion and realized that it had been looted. We then went to central building and there found Mrs. Sen's family, Miss Shuei, Miss Wong and Blanche Wu then Mary and I went down to the practice school to my surprise there we found mr. Chen and miss Lo sitting silently in my sitting room when mr. Chen told us his story I realized that surely his life had been saved by a miracle we had a little meeting of Thanksgiving never have I heard such prayers Later, I went down to the gate and stayed in Mr. Chen's home all night, in room next to Gatehouse. It must have been long after midnight when we went to bed, and I venture none of us slept.
1: Thanks for listening. Next episode... We hear the same incident from Sen's perspective, and the Japanese soldiers continue their search for Chinese army deserters.